Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We are now well into and fairly nearing the end of our fourth season, and we remain just as excited as ever to continue to help you explore and understand that unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. Here we look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here, issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung and heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we interview experts for today's show in our May series on cities, built environment, infrastructure, and nature. And today we're going to focus in on trees and tree canopies, urban nature spaces versus houses, roads, and farms. Now, amidst all the hustle and bustle of our daily modern lives, it's absolutely essential to pause and appreciate the vital role that nature plays in our overall health and well-being. And one element of nature that very often goes unnoticed, even though we pass by it daily many times, and it holds tremendous significance, is the trees in our life and our tree canopy. Stretching overhead like an intricate living tapestry, trees and tree canopies provide numerous benefits from environmental sustainability to mental and physical health, well-being, and improvements. And trees and tree canopies also are what make up our forest, which are an important part of any city, given that they provide several environmental benefits. And then urban nature in all its forms, be that urban forests, parks, and green belts, provide a range of benefits and services to society as well, most of which are not readily bought and sold. Thank goodness, we're glad that trees and nature for the most part are free. And economists have tried to calculate the use value of nature and its environments But it presents a very complex economic puzzle as to how we can actually estimate values for the many indirect, intangible services and functions that urban nature provides us, such as beauty, green infrastructure functions, as well as the psychological benefits. And in today's show, we're going to delve deep into the captivating world of trees, forest, nature spaces, and the stark contrast that they create with man-made structures such as houses, roads, and farms. Now, the allure of nature spaces is just totally undeniable, even if people don't realize what's happening to them. They offer a sanctuary where one can escape all of the noise and the hustle and bustle of urban living and reconnect with the natural world. However, the encroachment of human development threatens to disrupt this delicate balance, and then houses, roads, and farms have become ubiquitous features of our landscape. In fact, many of us think that our landscape gets gobbled up at an increasing rate due to these structures. And it often replaces the once lush green spaces that have harbored diverse ecosystems. But even in the midst of these structures, 
that is houses, farms, and roads, trees and tree canopies continue to exert their influence, thank goodness, reminding us of the coexistence between nature and human civilization. Trees and the tree canopy uh, are formed by the interlocking branches and the foliage of the trees, and it performs a, a kind of protective layer that shields us from the elements. The canopy provides shelter, shade, and a habitat for countless species of birds, insects, and other wildlife that we actually need in our environment. Moreover, this aerial green canopy acts as a natural filter, purifying the atmosphere by absorbing carbon dioxide and releasing oxygen and mitigating some of the effects of climate change. So while houses, roads, and farms indeed serve essential functions in our daily lives, they often lack the harmonious connection with nature that trees and tree canopy effortlessly provide for us. Houses with their solid walls and their confined spaces can sometimes actually feel isolating. In contrast, the canopy of trees evokes a sense of unity, enveloping us in a living, breathing environment that fosters calmness, serenity, and tranquility. And the rustling leaves and the dappled sunlight that filters through can create a very soothing atmosphere that rejuvenates our human spirit. Roads, on the other hand, symbolize progress and connectivity, yet they are often associated with noise, congestion, and much pollution. Tree canopies lining our roadways offer a visual respite, transforming what otherwise would be monotonous concrete landscapes into refreshing green corridors. And studies have shown that exposures to trees and tree canopies along roadsides can actually enhance driver well-being, it can reduce stress levels, and contribute to safer driving conditions. Now, farms, though absolutely crucial for sustaining our growing population, they sometimes come at the expense of vast expanses of natural habitat. However, by incorporating tree canopies and more trees into our agricultural landscapes can bring a lot of benefits. Tree canopies can, again, provide the shade for livestock. They can reduce soil erosion, and they can improve crop yields by enhancing pollination and regulating some of the microclimates. So by embracing trees and tree canopies within farming practices, we can strike, I think, a really cool balance between food production and environmental preservation. And as we navigate the challenges of urbanization, and those challenges are increasing every day, as well as the pressures of a rapidly growing and changing world, it's crucial for us to remember the vital importance of trees, tree canopies, and our nature spaces. They remind us of the harmony that can and should exist between humans and the natural world, even within the bustling confines of cities, houses, roads, and farms. The World Wildlife Fund says trees are truly a beautiful part of the natural environment, but they are also amazingly efficient machines. They constantly work to make Earth a healthier planet. So then, we must, as a society, or the world society, ask ourselves, what's of value to us? What's in it for us to aggressively regulate the rations and the ratio of trees and forest with houses, roads, and farms in our built environment? So, this is a lot, but 
Here today to help us explore the significance of trees and tree canopies and to discuss the challenges of balancing nature with human development and to highlight some of the innovative approaches to incorporating nature spaces within our ever-evolving landscapes are two experts. We've got Robert McDonald with the Nature Conservancy and we have Melanie Askey with Dane County Energy and Climate Change. Now, Robert, or should I say Rob, <laughs> Rob McDonald is a lead scientist for nature-based solutions at the Nature Conservancy. Rob researches the impact and the dependencies of communities on the natural world, studying how nature can increase resilience in the face of climate change and improve human health and well-being. Rob has published more than 100 scientific publications and two books. And prior to joining the Nature Conservancy, he was a Smith Conservation Biology Fellow at Harvard University, studying the impact of global urban growth and how it's going to interface uh, with biodiversity and conservation. Welcome, Rob. Did I get all of that right? Yeah, that sounds right. It's a pleasure to, to be here. Thank you. Our other guest is Melanie Askey. Melanie is a climate specialist with Dane County Energy and Climate Change, and she's had over 10 years of experience facilitating global and regional natural resource management across nonprofit government and business. As a climate specialist at Dane County Office of Energy and Climate Change, Mel is focused on implementing the county's climate action plan, where she leads the Tree Canopy Collaborative, which is a cross-functional group of organizations working to maintain protect, and expand tree canopy across Dane County. And prior to joining Dane County, Melanie was in California where she focused on land and water conservation statewide through grants and policymaking. Welcome, Melanie, and did I get all of that right? You got it. Thanks so much for having me. And again, thank both of you all for clearing your schedules to be with us today. We've only got about a minute to go before we go to break. So I want to start this out with, um, with Rob, um, understanding we may have to stop you and then connect on the other side. But Rob, can you tell everybody again exactly what tree canopies are, what they do for them, and why they are important to people in their everyday lives? Sure. So tree canopy is just the top part of trees, the, the, the leaves, the branches, um, and it's important because that's the part of the tree that gives us most of the benefits, right? That casts the shade and that filters those pollutants you were talking about, uh, all those benefits. Um, almost all of them come from the, that canopy spreading over us rather than uh, from the trunk. Okay, so if you see this tree that's just tall and skinny and has no leaves or anything like that, it really doesn't have a canopy. Yeah, and it's probably not doing as much to, to help you. In the same way, um, big old trees often provide a lot of benefits. Uh, when you plant a, a young sapling, it's not providing too many benefits. It doesn't have that many leaves, and it's going to take five or ten years before it grows up and, and really starts to provide a lot of benefits. And again, benefits way beyond the, the beauty that we get just from looking at it. So I think that's a really good explanation. We're going to go ahead and go to break now, and then we'll reconnect with you on the other side because we want to talk about the nexus between tree canopies and farms and roads and houses. So we have been and will continue to be with Rob McDonald from the Nature Conservancy and Melanie Askey with Dane County Climate Action. Thank you. We'll be right back. 
We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, The Green Healthy and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all natural grocers, all HEB stores, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsor is Lund Dental Care. Practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, non-mercury looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. To today's show in our series on cities, built environment, infrastructure, and nature. And today we're focusing in on trees, tree canopies, urban spaces versus houses, roads, and farms. And today we have with us Rob McDonald with the Nature Conservancy and Melanie Aske with the Dane County Energy and Climate Change. And again, thank you all for being with us. Now, Rod, before the break, you were kind of explaining to us again what tree canopies are, what they do. So I wanted you to talk to us a little bit about what is the intersection between tree canopies and farms and roads and houses, or trees and tree canopies. Whenever I see tree canopies, I'm talking about trees as well. So what's the intersection there? Yeah, so um, trees in wetter parts of the U.S. are kind of the natural land cover. So in, in wetter parts of the U.S., if you stop mowing a piece of lawn or, you know, it's going to go back to forest. And because of that, um, there are many, many trees in the eastern U.S. now. And cities, in some ways, as our cities expand and we build more houses and roads, sometimes eat into those um, forests and reduce forest cover, and, and they also can sometimes reduce farm uh, farmland cover. And so you get into this space of trying to plan uh, how, how a city can grow while also maintaining trees and, and uh, farms. In drier parts of the country, it's a little different. So if you think about a place like Phoenix, trees are always planted by people and it takes water to, to grow them and maintain them. So actually they go along with human settlement. Um, so cities, if you fly over a desert in a plain, cities are actually the greenest part of the desert, right? Because we're, we're planting trees to make that environment a little bit more hospitable. You know, as I contemplate on that question and li- listen to you, it occurs to me too that farms, roads, and houses are destroyers of trees and tree canopies. I have to think, though, and I'm going to jump to Melanie here, though, that cities and localities are becoming much more aware of this and looking at and doing some things to mitigate that. So, Melanie, I want to jump to you there, but I also want to expand that uh, and ask you what is the nexus or the intersection of canopies Uh, trees, tree canopies, and farms, roads, and and houses first. And then I want to come back with something else there, too. Sure. So I guess 
the first thing I'll say is kind of that we're all interconnected here. So trees, they provide shade, flood protection, erosion protection. They're a source of food and habitat. So all the same reasons that we benefit from trees that wildlife can benefit too. And so when we prioritize trees, we're really looking at the landscape holistically and where we can prioritize our own well-being, we prioritize the well-being of the natural environment as well. And I know, Melanie, you uh, you lead the Tree Canopy Collaborative there. What are you seeing as being the, I, I, I guess, the major challenge to maintaining or developing or just having adequate tree canopy? What are you seeing the main challenge and what kind of things are you guys looking at to mitigate and, and adapt? Certainly. So there's a lot of challenges that we see, but there's also a lot of solutions too. I guess the first thing I'll say is that one of the biggest challenges is that trees are really inequitably distributed across communities. Underserved and vulnerable populations um, have by far the lowest amount of tree canopy, and therefore they're receiving the least benefits from them. The resource distribution is really inequitable across communities, and that's the first thing that we look at is where are underserved and vulnerable populations, and what does their tree canopy look like, and how can we first access more trees for people who need them the most? Past policies have played a big role in this. Things like historic redlining um, and historic lack of tree canopy have led to um, current unequal investment. But when you look at what's happening today, we don't properly value trees. And so we're not putting enough money and effort into maintaining what we do have. So that's a big part of the problem is it's much easier to maintain an existing tree than it is to plant a new tree and wait 10 years for that canopy to, to develop. So we really need to think about what kind of financial investment we're putting into trees and what policies are surrounding those to um, augment and promote their growth across the community. Indeed. And I do hear over and over, and I've, I've been places and I know that there is inequitable distribution of trees, but we have the opposite occurrence here in, in, in Dallas and in North Texas. The tree part is a southern sector, which tends to be our low-income and minority sector. It's beautiful trees all over the place. And north, where our development is growing, is barren, and it's merging into the Oklahoma Dust Bowl, and in fact looks like that, <laughs> even though it's not Oklahoma Dust Bowl. So that's, I don't know how, but that's a quirk of nature, because I do know that, you know, it, it, the inequity of trees is in, in low-income communities, but again, we've got the opposite. And I guess it's just how development occurred. And I imagine that uh, perhaps some other other places uh, see the same thing. Probably one of the places uh, that we've seen it here in North Texas, and again, I'm, I'm sure this varies from community to community, though, too, is again around our large major highways, and especially when you have a lot of highways. In fact, we just had this great big plan done by a local tree organization to, to green up around our, our highway infrastructure. So I know it's, again, it's, it's, it's challenging. And I know, Rod, you just said something about finding more trees in the eastern part of the United States? Yeah, well, it's, it's maybe a basic kind of point about the climate in the U.S., but in, in some places like Atlanta, there is just a lot more trees than in some place like Phoenix, and, and that has to do with the climate. Um, but you're right, a lot of things, Bernice, go into how much tree cover is in a, a different neighborhood. But to give you some statistics to mm -hmm. what Melanie was just saying, um, in, in about 92% of U.S. cities, uh, low-income neighborhoods have less tree cover than high-income neighborhoods. 
They have about 15% less tree canopy, and it's about three or four degrees Fahrenheit hotter on a typical summer day. Average, you can find hotter or colder, you know, neighborhoods. Mm. But but just to give you a sense, it is a very widespread trend in the U.S., both because of the redlining issue that, that Melanie talked about, but also because in the U.S., uh, poorer households tend to be in the city center. They tend to be in apartments or denser neighborhoods, and richer households tend to be out in the suburbs. And so they have a yard, they have a little more space, so there's a little more tree cover generally. To take that a little further, though, I, I think we're saying or I hear you saying that in addition to low-income and minority people having less trees, but it, that the real issue may be location, where they're located. Basically, you're saying inner city has fewer trees, and that's where those vulnerable classes tend to live. That's the, the trend overall right. in the mm-hmm. U.S. You can think of exceptions, right? I mean, right. some of the richest families in, in New York City live in Manhattan, and mm-hmm. it's very dense. Um, and conversely, people out in Staten Island are kind of more the working class mm-hmm. families. Um, but on average in the U.S., people of lower income tend to live in those denser neighborhoods because it's it's cheaper. And they're often in renter-occupied units as well. And so one of the things uh, that, that has been shown is that uh, people, when they own their own house, tend to plant trees more around it and really want that vegetation. People who are renting tend to have less of that because their landlord's don't want to spend the money to, to plant those trees. But you, you you both have said something there, too, in what you just said. Uh, when people become homeowners, they plant their own trees. And that tells me people realize the benefit, or at least some of the benefits, of trees. How do we get them to protect them more en masse, other than just thinking about the tree in my yard? Well, in some ways, I want to hear Melanie answer that, because yeah. she's on the ground doing mm-hmm. this in, in Dane County. Um how do y'all so get them to? Like, yeah, take the first stab at mm-hmm. that because I, I, I have the 30,000-foot level, but mm-hmm. then the battles fought in particular communities. I, th- I really think this is a multi-pronged approach to have people understand what the value is of trees and what they bring to the table. I think uh, foremost, you have to think about what what does it mean to people to have trees and make sure that they understand the value. So this is a community engagement question to understand you know, that they know the value that trees bring. And certainly we know that trees bring a lot of financial value to a community. Each tree can be worth up to one, like one to $10,000, like a mature tree. They also have like really tangible, like energy saving costs because trees around buildings can reduce your air conditioning needs by 30%. Um, And then that's not even to say like the home, like the property value, because having trees in your yard, that can increase your property value up to 15%. And so there's just, a lot of like tangible like financial benefits that they provide in addition to enhancing the community's aesthetic. When you look at like surveys of what 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 people value, people like trees. They're almost universally liked. And so people like having trees around. And I think that it's sort of a win-win situation when you communicate the value to them and the economic return that they provide. But there's a lot of priorities in this world. And so I think you really need to elevate trees to the forefront to people. And that's where the community engagement and outreach comes in. So people are thinking about that value and making those kind of trade-offs in their head about what would it mean to have a tree in my yard? What would it mean to advocate for trees in my community? 
because people are doing a lot of different things. And certainly there's a lot of like need in the community to advocate for different things. But that's where I would put my efforts is making people understand the tree, the tree value that um, can be provided to them. Indeed. Thank you so much, Melanie. We're going to go to break here. But uh, when we come back, I, I want to come back to Melanie because uh, you mentioned something I want to delve into, and that's the economics, the economic value. We'll be right back on the other side with Melanie Aske with Dane County Climate Action Plan and with Rob McDonald with the Nature Conservancy. Thank you all. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, to today's show and our May series on cities, built environment, infrastructure, and nature. And today we are focusing in on trees and tree canopies, urban spaces versus houses, roads, and farms. And we are back with Melanie Aske with Dane County Climate Action Plan and Rob McDonald with the Nature Conservancy. So again, thank you all for being with us. Now, Melanie, before the break... You had mentioned the economics. I want to delve in that a little bit more. What kind of statistics are out there about the cost of having adequate or not having adequate trees and tree canopies? And how do, what kind of metrics are, are used? Well, we know they're significant. We know that trees tangibly increase the economic value of, of a neighborhood, an individual house, and more. We know that people, for example, shot more in areas that with trees and they spend up to 12% more. Kansas City actually did a study and they were looking at the value of the street trees and they found that um, each street tree provided an estimated $123 per year per tree for a total of over $50 million in benefit to street trees. So we know that the economics pan out, but I also just want to kind of flip that script and say, the economics matter, but there's also other benefits that they provide other than just the pure economic cost because public health is really hard to measure economically, but certainly that's a, a big topic that we can talk about too. Indeed, indeed, they it, and, and they really do make a big difference. Let me ask you too, I, I know that in some places, uh, my hometown of Austin, Texas being one, whenever you develop, you have to measure and account for and inventory the trees on a piece of property. And they have they have something called the treaty oaks, and those are protected. And a treaty oak over, I think, two inch in diameter, you just simply cannot cut down. Uh, and even when you are cutting down other trees, which you kind of have to to build on the property, then you're required to replace them. So are you, what kind of, I guess, local policy or public policy are you seeing out there that respects and tries to mitigate uh, the impact of uh, houses, roads, and farms uh, on on our trees. Melanie, I'll start with you there. Sure. So in Madison, for example, there's a lot of um, pro-development policy, which is great because you really want the economy to grow, and there's a lot of new opportunity for um, building development. Um, but what you see with that is you need to marry that um, pro-economic value with the policies that provide value for trees as well. So, for example, one thing that I really would like to see is a proper economic replacement value being calculated for trees. So when you're thinking about, okay, well, a, develop, a building development is proposing cutting down three trees in order to build this building, 
what is the actual replacement value of this oak tree? It's not the fact that a new sapling costs $150 to plant. That's a 100-year-old mature oak tree. What is the real value of that to society, the community, et cetera? So when you're thinking about how to value trees, I think those policies really need to account for the true value that a tree provides instead of just like what would a new sapling physically cost to plant in the ground? Indeed. And, and like I said, that to me, that says a lot about a locality, what their values are. Uh, when you look at their development code or their development policy to see how they're protecting the trees. Rob, what are you seeing on that front? I, I know you work at that global level, but are you seeing in terms of public policy uh, with mitigating and perhaps adapting to for our trees, tree canopies and urban spaces? What are you seeing that's being done? Yeah, that- there's a lot of um, innovative uh public policy measures being taken in, in cities, especially you, you mentioned tree protection ordinances, which, which have been around a while, but there's also attempts to um, incorporate sort of uh, green, green area fraction requirements or you know, basically that you need a certain fraction of a parcel to, to be green. And that can include the roof or you know, green, the green, green facades, kind of the sides of the building. Um, and in some cities like Chicago, I think it's a case that you, they try to give incentives to developers to develop green roofs. So if you build a green roof, you can build 50% higher for your building, which has real economic value if you're planning to build a building. So there's a lot of unique incentives that way. Um, and part of the reason cities are motivated to, to keep experimenting is the economic value that Melanie was talking about. You know, my own research is on this kind of quantification of, of nature's benefits, especially around heat. And so one of the one of the things we found is that um, forests in U.S. cities prevent um, about 1,200 deaths a year, about 50,000 doctor's visits a year. And so you can get there by understanding from the epidemiologist how much does a degree Fahrenheit in temperature uh, reduce or increase um, mortality or morbidity. And then you can look at, well, how much do those things cost society? And so when you, when you add those numbers up, um, trees are probably saving you know, one to three billion dollars a year in, in cost just in terms of medical bills during heat waves. So it's about uh, 20 to 50 dollars per person every single year. So that's just one benefit. There's lots of other benefits you can think about that trees provide. Um, so it's, it's this public good. And that's why governments are trying to think through, well, how do we make sure there's enough of it around for our citizens? And and maybe that's why here in in Dallas we have a we have a very elaborate and now I think it's fairly well funded tree plan around our hospital district. <laughs> so that's interesting that those two uh, kind of go go together. Maybe it's the, the the health push that's caused that particular area to get the funding and get the plan for for tree canopy. So I yeah, well, and and there's some really interesting studies that. People in hospitals who have a view out onto nature actually recover faster from surgery. Uh, so they're, they're, the hospital sector has been um, pretty visionary in working with landscape architects to try to have more nature near uh, near, near the, the operating room or near the recovery rooms. So there's some really interesting hospitals uh, here in Europe where I live now that are sort of circular and then they have um, a big courtyard in the middle so that every room has a view out onto nature. I love that. Let me pose this question really to both of you all. We'll hear from from Melanie first. It it strikes me, we were talking about New York City and the 
the, the wealthy people in Manhattan who had no trees. But what they do have is that big Central Park. So I want to look a little bit in terms of what's the value or what happens when you have the big forest or park or the big conglomeration of trees, and, and it's very large in one place, and the people are living, I guess, around it, as opposed to having them spread out. Is there a good or bad or indifferent to that? Start with you, Melanie. You're the tree canopy lady. <laughs> I think there's merits to considering all different aspects. And one of the, it's one of the considerations is really where do you live and what does the community want? Um, our tree canopy collaborative really aims to have a community grassroots driven approach to what a community wants in terms of their trees. And so it kind of depends on what the citizens think they need. And that depends on what the use case is. I mean, certainly there's benefits to having large respite areas that have a lot of natural wildlife. And that if you're if you're just talking purely from like the wildlife situation, like you're talking like bigger areas for habitat for animals in a large park, that's certainly true. But if you're talking about what the benefit is to people, I think there's merits to consider a lot of different configurations. And I think that street trees provide a lot of value because it gets people outdoors walking in shaded areas where they mother otherwise may just not go outdoors at all. And it depends how far away you are from the park and whether you have small kids that can walk to the park. And so I think it's a yes and situation, really. Indeed. What do you, what do you, what do you think or what do you see, Rob? Is it perhaps more beneficial, I guess, really for the environment, too, to have them like in one big place or all spread out? Well, so people need many things from cities, um, but there are some good reasons to try to have denser cities and more compact cities. Um, and this gets to that the, the sprawl issue we started talking about at the start of this program. Um, if U.S. neighborhoods are just at low density, they'll they'll spread out, they'll cover a large area. It takes a lot of space, and it maybe eats into farms and forests at the fringes of the city. It also takes more energy. So we, people drive more when it's low-density uh, settlements, and um, they're usually in single-family homes, so they spend more energy heating and cooling those houses. So there, there are a lot of reasons that denser communities, more compact communities, are low-carbon communities. That's better for climate change. Uh, and it, it's better for generally people's health because they're walking around. So the challenge is to think through, well, how do you have some nature in, in communities, even when they're denser, because you you uh, you may not have a, a private backyard or something. And so it, it does come back to the sort of public parks you were talking about, Bernice. One of the interesting things we found when we reviewed um, U.S. cities is what happens is in, in suburbs, most land is private. So there's a lot of green space if you look at it down from a plane. Um, but most of that is in people's backyards, right? So you can't just walk into it. Um, as you get into more city centers, um, the green space that is there is public. It's a public good. There's maybe more demands on it. There's more people there, and the, the city has to think about how do they maintain that park over time. But it becomes a much more multifunctional space that a lot of people are using. And so it's those sort of public green spaces that let uh, neighborhoods be both dense and green. Indeed, and I, I, I have to think that the density and the fact that there are not a lot of trees around and about in, 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 in Manhattan and in New York City is why Central Park is still there. 
because I think all of us know in, in other parts of the country, that part would have been encroached upon, encroached upon and kind of eaten away probably here in where I live <laughs> in any case. So they, they I think that does give them love for it. But it's really clear that that it, it really is complex and a trade off of a lot of needs. We'll be right back on the other side with Melanie Aske with Dane County Climate Action and Rob McDonald with The Nature Conservancy. Thank you all. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, The Green Healthy and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all HEB stores, all natural grocers, central markets, and sunflower shops, as well as many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care. Practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach in mercury, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lynndentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. To today's show in our series on cities, built environment, infrastructure, and nature. And today we are focusing in on trees, tree canopies, urban spaces versus houses, roads, and farms. And we have clearly seen that it's a delicate balance that's, I don't want to say tenuous, but it's certainly always changing. But the, the good part, the good news that I'm getting from our experts is that it's a balance that can be achieved in harmony. Really, we have to. So I want to go back. Rod, I've heard you mention the term nature inequality. Is that kind of the same thing or as how is that related to the discussion that Melanie was bringing forth earlier about the inequality of trees in locations in, in low-income and minority communities? Or is it something totally it's different? very similar. <laughs> um, I think trees are one type of nature in mm-hmm. cities, but there are, and, and maybe the most important type in many U.S. cities, but, but not the only type kind, right? So you can think about parks and who has access to parks nearby um, or who has space to garden in. I used to live in Washington, D.C. There was a great program where there were these neighborhood community gardens, and you could have a little lot and go garden even if you were in an apartment. So all of those different kinds of nature uh, are important and provide different benefits to people. And so you can think about the equality or inequality of of each of them. Um, and it's interesting if you look at the, the statistics – um, tree cover, tree canopy cover is m- m- pretty unequal in, in the U.S. Um, we do a little better with park access, in part because cities and municipal governments have tried to make sure that communities have access to parks. It's still it's still a little uneven, don't get me wrong, but um, but we do a little better on that metric. And what about, I guess I want to call them urban forests. I know we have a, a, a very large one of 60, I think it's like 6,000 acres or, or more here in Dallas called the Great Trinity Forest. 
And uh, lo and behold, it is in the low income part of town. Uh, but as I said, that that just tends to be the green tree area in our in our locality. Uh, but what about urban forest? I have to think there are a number of, of, of places that have them. And is there anybody mapping those sort of things and looking out for them or protecting them on a on a broader or higher policy level? Yeah, the uh, many many cities have those those remnant patches of forest. Uh, I used to live in Washington D.C., which has Rock Creek Park, and we're very proud that Rock Creek Park is bigger than than Central Park. Um, so th- those spaces are very important for biodiversity and um, natural, you know, animals and plants. Um, so especially for agencies thinking about natural resource management or protecting biodiversity, those are some of the key spaces they try to protect. They're also really important for recreation, right? Especially a certain kind of recreation, going out and going for a hike or a walk or, uh, or what have you. So when we work with communities at the Nature Conservancy, we're often, they, most cities in the U.S., for instance, will have a tree canopy plan, but they might have an open space and parks plan. Uh, and they're usually thinking about the linkages between those two things. Um, and they may have parks that are more, human-made, right, where you have baseball fields and basketball courts and all that, but you may also have some of those natural forests, um, and and you want to try to preserve those. Melanie, now, especially as it relates to y'all's climate action plan, uh, what other areas, I know you deal with tree canopy, but what other areas are y'all working on or have you identified as it relates to nature spaces? Yeah, to Rob's point, so we at a county level do map historic forest remnants. Um, again, to Rob's point, though, a lot of that is on private land. So what can you affect there? Well, you can incentivize um, farmers to do different land management practices that preserve that, you know, that forest remnant. But it is private land. So there's you have to incentivize people to do it or motivate them in some way. Um, kind of zooming back to our own tree canopy collaborative, though, where can we affect change? Um, I see a lot of opportunity on both private and public land. So street trees, utility easements, and private homes are all great opportunities to plant more trees. And certainly in our county, there's a lot of opportunity to increase the amount of tree canopy that we have in all of those areas. Do y'all have any, I guess, public policy initiatives or building code, development code, or anything that addresses open spaces, urban spaces, and trees? Our own climate action plan is sort of a blueprint for the county to see where we want to go with climate action. And certainly there's a large natural resource component there because trees are part of a climate solution. So there's a suite of um, incentives as well as policies that can help um, maintain and expand tree canopy. Um, And it really depends on what the city or county wants to advocate for or push forward. So yes, there's a mix of solutions, but it depends on what's right for your own community. Okay. And from where you sit, Melanie, other than us humans and development, what would you see in your area perhaps as as being the major threat or challenge to trees and tree canopies and the services that they provide for us humans? Climate change, for sure. Um, We're seeing a lot of expansion of range of disease that we haven't seen before. So insects that were previously not here are coming here. Other kinds of diseases are expanding their ranges. And then threat from warming climate and changing precipitation patterns changes the, what species are available to grow here and what had been doing well may now be struggling. So, yes, yeah, certainly climate change is a big threat, and a lot of that is um, lost due to disease. 
So climate change is, is it's number two behind, maybe number one, but behind, behind the human and the development world. So let me jump to you, Rob, then. So we know that climate, and in, in, in Melanie is telling us about the things that climate change is doing to trees. What can trees do to mitigate or adapt to climate change? Yeah, both are true, right? It, <laughs> climate change is a big threat to urban forest canopy, but urban forests are, are in some ways one of the solutions to climate change. Uh, I mentioned heat already. They, they Trees play a really important role cooling cities, both with the shade they cast, but also by transpiring water. So just like um, you feel cooler when you, you sweat on a hot day and evaporate, the trees evaporate water and, and cool the air a lot that way. Um, but they also play a role in preventing problems uh, with stormwater, like uh, managing water, uh, preventing erosion. So th- there's a couple of the big risks from climate change that trees play a really important role for. So you see now investments. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about investments at the, the U.S. level now through things like the Inflation Reduction Act that um, they're investing a, a lot in trees as a way to catch carbon and CO2. That's playing out mostly in rural landscapes because it's cheaper to plant trees out there. You can get a ton of carbon captured cheaper. But then they're also investing um, with an equity lens in trees in communities where we live to try to make them more resilient to climate change. So prioritizing first those blocks that don't have a lot of trees right now. Now, how is that happening? Are they like giving, is the Inflation Reduction Act programming and funding uh, giving funds to localities to plant trees in urban areas or low-income areas? Is that how it's being distributed or what? Yeah, um, it's a grant program, um, and I, I, I'll confess I don't know all the details, but basically um, communities apply, and um, then there's a match, right? So you, there's some money from the feds and some local money that can go towards um, forestry projects. Can I take a stab at that, too? Certainly. Go ahead, Melanie. Mm-hmm. Sure. So the federal government has kind of two pathways right now that I know of um, to distribute these funds. One is what's Rob is saying competitive grant process. The other is distribution to individual states, and then states can filter that money down through either partnership or also additional um, competitive grant dollars. So there's opportunity at the federal level, and then there's also opportunity at the more local level to look at um, in partnership with um, Department of Natural Resources or other local entities what natural management solutions are already in play and complement those existing policies and practices. Indeed, and I have to think that with a living, breathing uh, climate action plan that's in execution that you guys would be tapped into into that because you already really know where you, your trees are needed and everything. Indeed. Absolutely, and funding is one of the largest constraints. Indeed. Rod, and we only have like about two minutes to go. Uh, I want to ask you, because I know the Nature Conservancy does what it says. It attempts to conserve nature. What are you guys doing at this broad policy level? I have to think that you've done some mapping, maybe nationally, globally, or whatever, about where trees are needed and the big places where they aren't and what it's, what it's doing. I believe also, do you all have like land trust where you attempt to conserve? Uh, really briefly, what are the big things that you guys are doing to, to help uh, adapt and mitigate? Sure. So the Nature Conservancy um, started as a land trust, and the, that is still our main activity in the U.S. is 
protecting uh, important natural areas. Um, we've protected hundreds of millions of, of acres. Um, and so that's that's one of the main things that that our million members are are interested in. But we also do other things to make sure nature is there for people as well. This this agenda we're talking about today of climate mitigation and adaptation is a really big part of, of what we do. And that's often nature in different uh, maybe in different places on the landscape, right? So when we're we're going to protect a parcel that's focused on rare species. You might be a little bit outside the city center, but when you want to make cities more resilient to heat waves, for instance, you have to put street trees right where people live and work. Indeed. And, and again, you guys have been a long-term advocate. And, and your role and your work is becoming more and more and more important every day, as we, we've talked about. So I appreciate it. We have been today with two experts who've really made us smarter. We've been with Melanie Aske, who is climate specialist with Dane County Energy and Climate Change, and Rob McDonald, who's lead scientist uh, with the Nature Conservancy for their nature-based solutions. And I think we all have realized the benefit of trees, but I think what they've helped us to do today is to care about them is not an option, but a necessity. We tend to take these things for granted because we just pass by them every day and they're always there. So thank you all so much. And thank you listeners for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in your home, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is a result of a trillion tiny acts taken by billions of people every day like yourselves. And each of those tiny acts can seem insignificant, but all of them add up, one way or the other, to the change that we each live through. This is your host, Bernice Butler. Thank you for listening today and join us again next week for more Healthy Living, Healthy Planet radio and listen to any of our past shows on podcast wherever you get yours. Thank you.